congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is good for us to gather as a congregation on this Good Friday. And on this Good Friday, as we all know, we commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what is very important in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is, obviously, boys and girls, you know, it is the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, as you know, there are many symbols floating around in this world or that have been used by various countries and various people. When I think, for instance, of that symbol that was used in the Second World War by the German forces, the, uh, that, that, that symbol, uh, you know what it is. And when we uh, consider what the Russians are using as symbol, the, the Z symbol, these are symbols that, that convey a particular message and there is a response of sorts to such a symbol. But now we will be considering the biggest symbol that has ever and consists always to exist for you and for me, and that is the cross. And that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is it such an everlasting symbol on this world? It is because of Him who has hung on that cross. So it is the cross of Jesus Christ that we want to consider particularly. And the response that comes from the people who stand around this cross of Jesus Christ. And that is what I want to consider with you particularly because there are several reactions to the cross of Jesus Christ and to Him who hangs on that cross. Now, there are a number of them, but I want to consider three reactions particularly. And we read of those three reactions to the cross of Jesus Christ in the verses that I've chosen as our text passage, the verses Uh, 47, 48, and 49. And so let me read them to you again. Luke chapter 23, 47, 48, and 49. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. That's the first reaction. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. That's the second reaction. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. And that is then the third reaction. So I want to consider with you this evening three reactions to the cross of Calvary. A reaction of worship. Secondly, a reaction of shock. And then thirdly, a reaction of loss. Now, congregation, our text takes us, therefore, to the closing moments of that horrific spectacle on Calvary, which is also known as Golgotha. It is late in the afternoon on that first Good Friday. The Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified. In fact, He has already died. Our attention is presently drawn now to various groups of people at Calvary and their reaction to what they have seen and to what they have heard. 
We read in verse 47 then, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Now it is amazing, dear people, that an impact of the cross of Jesus can do powerful things. It can be a very powerful impact. And that was definitely the case here with this centurion. Here you have this man, this centurion. Most likely the commanding officer of this execution squad. He had to stand very close to the cross of Calvary, right next to it most likely. And no doubt was a very close observer to those who were hanging on those three crosses. But particularly the middle one, that is Jesus After all, it was part of his job to make sure that everything would go according to the plans as well and that eventually the crucifixion victims would die. But this centurion had soon noticed that this man in the center, that is Jesus, who was hanging there on that cross, was no common crucifixion victim. This centurion could not help but notice that this Jesus was different, that he was powerfully different. In fact, that he was attractively different even. He didn't struggle, but with great meekness, he just allowed things to happen to him. And as this centurion watched Jesus, he noticed that that this Jesus was not getting killed as such, but that he was in the process of laying down his life according to his will and ways. This centurion could not help but notice to observe the manner of Jesus dying, therefore, and as he observed it, well, he felt drawn to him, you see. He felt drawn to Jesus. He didn't quite know what to make of it, really, but somehow an unusual sense of respect began to grow in him, Jesus on the cross began to have an effect on him. It seemed that there was some kind of mysterious force reaching out from the crucified one to the centurion standing there. Now imagine, congregation, imagine for a moment what was going on in the heart of this centurion what would be the effect? Would the cross and what he saw on it, would it overpower him? Or would he turn away from it and escape its influence? You can be sure that this spiritual battle was raging in the heart of this centurion at that particular time. Would this battle end up in him bowing for the crucified one? Or would it end up in rejecting the crucified one? Now perhaps we should explore also for a moment what it would mean for this, for this centurion to bow under the power of the cross. What would it mean if he would say, Ah, oh, I'm drawn to him. What would it mean for the crucifier, 
if he would end up bowing for the crucified one. Well, it would no doubt stir among the soldiers some strange happenings. He would no doubt instantly be declared as someone insane, as it became an immediate, he became no doubt then an immediate butt of ridicule if he would bow for the crucified one. You see, when, when the cross of Jesus Christ begins to have an effect on you and me, it will force us, you see, to bow before it. That is, if it has a positive effect, we will bow for the cross of Christ and the one hanging on it. And is that how it would be with this centurion, we would ask? Well, we know that focusing upon the cross of Christ and Christ hanging on it, that when we focus on it, it will create a spiritual struggle in us. Well, that is how it was with this centurion as well. He was overpowered, and he did bow for the cross of Christ. His honor and his pride, his command, his own self, none of it counted any longer for him, and he bowed, and by doing so, he glorified God. It says so here in our text, doesn't it? He glorified God unashamedly he declared certainly this was a righteous man now let us not belittle this small confession it is true this centurion did not know very much about Jesus what could you and I expect of him the whole Bible would most likely still have to be opened up for him but it is the power of the cross, you see, that had done its work already. And he glorified God. Now, this is what God wants, you see, from Calvary, dear congregation. This is what God wants. This is what God wants from the preaching of the cross. This is what God wants on Good Friday from you and from me. Namely, that he will be worshipped, that he would be glorified. The shocked crowd, as we will hear in a moment, well, they did not give glory to God. In fact, those people turned their back to the cross. The acquaintance of Jesus, as we will also shortly hear about, they were at a loss, so we are told. They stood afar off. They were dumbfounded. They did love him, but there was no faith in practice at that moment with them. But this centurion, this centurion, well, it's different with him. Being close to the cross, it had a powerful effect on him, and it did something most wonderful. He fell under the spell of the cross of Jesus Christ, and his reaction was one of worship and one of adoration. Now, dear people, that is the response that would be to the glory of God from you and from me as well. That when we survey that wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died, when we watch him on the cross, 
if we come to the point that we can worship Him and glorify Him, even while He is already dead on the cross, that we can worship and glorify God for it. And I pray that may be your and my response as well, from each one of us, young and old. Well, now, let us then consider the second type of reaction, which I want to call the reaction of shock. We read in our text, verse 46, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned now, what, what kind of crowd came there in order to, to see this spectacle at Calvary? Well, it's relatively easy to figure that out. This crowd consisted, by and large, of ordinary people, people of the nation of Israel, who were led, who were also influenced by the stir of the moment, and they were dictated by the emotions of the sights. Let me explain this in some more detail because we need to understand who these people are. A few days before this particular spectacle at Calvary, this same crowd, as you know, had been very excited about Jesus. It had welcomed him into Jerusalem, waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Emotions ran high at that particular time for this popular rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, but the mood of that crowd changed very quickly. This happened by way of the influences of their leaders in Jerusalem. And this influence worked another emotion on that crowd, you see. So much that that crowd was soon to turn in a different way altogether. And it began to shout out against this rabbi of Nazareth, that is Jesus when they actually came to the point of shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. It's no longer Hosanna, welcome, but crucify him. And again, as I said already, this crowd was led by the stir of the moment. That means that this crowd was very fickle. It consisted of people who were very easily swayed. And they were very easily dictated to by the present circumstance and by their manipulative leaders. In the early morning hours of that Good Friday, the same crowd was led to move against Jesus. Compelled by their Jewish leaders, the crowd had made it known to Pontius Pilate then at that time, Away with him. Crucify him. And why was that? Well, the crowd wanted a spectacle. It wanted to see blood, you see. And it got its way. It got its way. Jesus was therefore delivered to be crucified. And the crowd moved on towards Calvary. They pushed and they shoved and they jeered. They had been riled up, you see, in order to behold a spectacle of blood. That's what they wanted to see. But now, get this. What happened at Calvary became a totally different story for those people, that crowd. 
it had turned out so much different than had been expected by this crowd. This crowd, it had gone to Calvary to be entertained. But it ended up being shocked. What was it then that that shocked the crowd so much, you might ask? Was it the blood and the abuse they saw? No, the crowd, I suspect, was used to that. Did the cruelties of the crucifixion, did that shock the crowd perhaps? I don't think so either. But what shocked the crowd was the things that they were so much different than what they had expected, you see. This Jesus on the cross was so much different from all the other criminals that they've seen crucified in the past. And this became apparent already when he was being nailed on the cross. The crowd heard him pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Then the crowd heard Jesus speak to a fellow victim on the cross next to him. And they heard those assuring words spoken to this other thief on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. All this, you see, was so much unlike a crucifixion victim. They hadn't expected this at all. And then on top of that, there's suddenly that eerie darkness on Calvary as well. The crowd fell silent. The mocking ceased. The jeering voices also fell silent. Things became very, very different. So shockingly different at Calvary. And as the darkness thickened at Calvary and across the area, every person was left to his or own, her own thoughts. And then from somewhere out of that thick darkness, there was this cry of anguished abandonment as if the darkness itself began to acquire a voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as those words faded into the silence of the thick darkness and things were about to become eerily quiet again, this voice was heard again and that from the midst of this darkness and more hauntingly yet, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Meanwhile, under the feet of the crowd, the earth had begun to tremble and quake and shake. The crowd had not expected that whatsoever. Calvary had suddenly become shockingly distressing for the crowd. And this means, no doubt, that consciences began to speak. And among the crowd, no doubt, there were those who, who may have said, as they, they ran away from it all, we've got to get out of here. We've done something that is not right. Let's get away from this terrible scene. The crowd, you see, was in shock by the stir of the moment. 
The people did not dare to stay there any longer. Calvary had become too oppressive for them. And as they turned away from Calvary, we read in our text that when they had been beholding the things which were done, they smote their breast and returned. Notice, they smote their breasts. Now this is a typical Jewish way of expressing one's innermost shock. They smote their breast. Our text chapter shows us a crowd that was first riled up to see the blood of Christ on Calvary. But they stepped back from Calvary because they were distressed. They were in shock. And someone once said about this crowd, and I quote, they came to witness a show, but they left with feelings of woe. Now how must we, you and I, how must we interpret this reaction? Well, these people, they were, they were in shock because of the events that they had witnessed, which they had not expected. Fear, you see, had taken hold of them. Their consciences were awakened. These people began to realize the horror of the deeds they had done. It shocked them and it frightened them. And so they began to smite their breasts. And they began to pound on their chest as an outward emotion of pure shock. Now, in Luke chapter 18, we meet up with another person who was also busy smoting his breast. He was known as a publican. And he too did this in shock and in horror. But he did so because he realized what kind of a sinner he was and had been. Because he therefore cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18, verse 13. And that was to his salvation. But was this so with the crowd, you might ask? It is highly unlikely that their breast smiting was to their salvation. Why do I dare say this? Because they left Calvary. The spectacle had become too eerie, too haunting, too threatening for the crowd, you see. And so the crowd fled away from the cross. Their consciences were awakened, but there was no call for mercy. There was breast smiting, yes. But there was no calling on God that He would have mercy upon them as sinners. Well, congregation, this was then another reaction to the cross of Calvary. It was a reaction of momentary shock and the stirring of various emotions. But as it turned out, this crowd returned home and in returning home, the people turned their backs to the cross and they forsook the possibility of obtaining mercy from the Lord God. They turned back from the cross.
And that is a warning for each one of us, dear people. Let us never, ever turn back from the cross. When the cross speaks to us, when the cross draws us, when the mercy of God is offered to us, when God shows that He is willing to forgive the worst of sinners, let us never turn back and go away from it. But do what that publican did. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, that's then the second reaction. Let's consider the third reaction to the cross of Calvary. That is the reaction of loss. Again, we turn to our text, and this time verse 49. All his acquaintance, that is the acquaintance of Jesus, and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. There were people standing around the cross who were at a loss. And we know also who they were. There were those who have learned to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, primarily his disciples, or at least 11 of them, and then some of the women as well. All of them, they have certainly shown a sincere love for the Lord Jesus. But there they stood at Calvary, afar off, so we are told, beholding these things, which had happened. Now it is hard for us, you and me, to imagine what sorrow these people were going through at that time. They've seen their beloved master suffer. They've caught a glimpse of him as he was on trial. And each time they saw him again and again, he was more battered, more bruised, more bleeding. It was awful to see all of that happening to him. They have heard his piercing cry from the cross. They have heard him, as it were, die when he gave his spirit into the hands of the Father. And their sorrow is therefore beyond description. Their whole existence, it was wrapped up in him. In him, they had anticipated to sit with him on his throne in heaven one day. Whenever they were near to him, they felt close to the kingdom of God. Whenever they walked beside him or walked right behind him, they knew they were following the right one. They knew that they had the right one beside them. The Father's house. Ah! That's the place where he'll take us. And surely, that will happen soon. But here in our text, we see them standing at Calvary, afar off. And these are very important words. Because they were afar off. They were distant from Jesus. And because they were distant from Jesus, they were at a loss. While they had their dearly beloved Jesus with them, everything was well. But now that 
he is gone. They stand afar off. And the implication is therefore that they are at a loss as what to think about what has happened on the cross. In spite of all that Jesus had told them in his lifetime, in spite of the fact that he had told them that yes, he would suffer and die, this is not what they had imagined whatsoever. It was in their love for Jesus that they envisioned some great glory for him, but not a cross. And therefore they stand afar off at a loss because of the cross. Now, strange, isn't it? That it would have to be that way. Believers at a loss, and that because of what they saw on the, at the cross. Perhaps it's better to say it this way. Lovers of Jesus at a loss because of what they saw at the cross. Now, why do I want to make that distinction? For this reason, let me explain. Love for Jesus is not the same as faith in Jesus. Just look at those acquaintances of Jesus there at Calvary. Love in their heart asked, Why did this dreadful thing have to happen here at Calvary? Faith would have said, this suffering has to be accomplished. Love would have asked, why does my dear Savior have to suffer like this? But faith would say, But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes I am healed. That's faith speaking. You see, those acquaintances of Jesus, they were standing there at Calvary, filled with love, but virtually empty of faith. And it is faith in the first place, you see, that Jesus has asked of them. And dear people, we know from the Bible that faith working through love is what counts. Faith working through love. You see, you may have very tender emotions of love towards Jesus. You may be able to confess your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may even be able to sing of your love for Him. And that is certainly wonderful for us, you and me, to do so. But love alone is not enough. But love for Jesus, you could still be standing afar off. This would mean that you would still, by and large, be at a loss as to the rich meaning of the cross at Calvary. Standing afar off, you see, it means that you may still be trying to find your comfort, your assurance, and your salvation in your love for Jesus. And then you might perhaps at times say, 
Ah, if I could only love Jesus more, then I will feel more assured. Have you ever thought that way? If I could love him more, show my love more to him, then it will be better. But my friend, you need to understand this one important thing. You need to understand that actually one thing counts, and that is not that you have fostered love for Jesus, but that Jesus Christ has loved you. There is a difference. That Jesus Christ has sacrificed himself in love for the likes of you and me. And then what comes into play? Faith. Yes, I believe it. I confess that Jesus Christ has loved me from eternity. Therefore, Jesus Christ has died in my place. Therefore, he has shown his love to me. And it is because of his love in me, I love him. And that is what you and I are called to believe, dear people. And therefore, faith is so important. That should be your and my reaction. Why do you think that the preaching of the cross has come around again also on this Good Friday? Is it perhaps to, to move you just a little bit more in love in your heart for Jesus? No, no. Rather, the preaching of the cross of Christ has come around again to you and to me to tell you that Jesus loves sinners and to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to be Savior to you and to me. Boys and girls, young people, remember this. Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Savior. And if this is not the first thing and foremost on your mind, you might still be like those acquaintances of Jesus at that particular time, standing afar off at a loss as what to think about the cross. You see, dear people, you and I, we need to get close to the cross. Close to the cross. Why? Because close to the cross, you will learn that it is not your and my love any longer that you need to question, but that you need to be confirmed in the love of Jesus Christ for you and me. As acquaintances and disciples of Jesus, you could still be standing afar off while it should be so much different. And it will be different. It will be different when you believe the message of the cross, which says that everything is to be found with Jesus, who was crucified. The message of the cross should therefore press you and me to confess your need for Jesus. For Jesus, who in love for you was willing to die and to pay for your sins. For Jesus, who in love for you has gone through death and hell for you and for me. And so, my friend, I'm not asking you now, how is your love for Jesus? But I am asking you, 
How is your faith in Jesus Christ? Is your faith in Him? Is it tried and true? Even when it is challenged at times, will it stay focused upon Jesus Christ? Well, in order that this may be so, stay close to the cross of Christ and observe how Jesus Christ hangs there on that cross. And then notice for a moment the details of Him hanging on the cross. He hangs on that cross, dear people, with arms outstretched. With arms outstretched. Which means that He is busy at the same time beckoning you, calling you, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. You that stand afar off, come to me. Draw close to the cross in faith, and you will find comfort and assurance for your soul. This is why he didn't hang like this. He didn't hang like that, but he hung like that. Never forget this. Never forget this. On this Good Friday, dear people, Jesus Christ would want you close to the cross. He wants you to be in faith, believing in Him. Because then you will also find that you will not be at a loss very easily anymore. Let faith, therefore, in the love of Jesus Christ bring you close. Well, now in closing, what kind of reaction will God get from you and from me? I pray that none of you would be like that crowd and turn your back on God after hearing this word. Draw near. Survey that wondrous cross and Him who died on, him, on it and worship Him as that centurion did. Can you confess what He said? Well then, begin to measure the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Jesus Christ, dear people, by it. Because by its faith-working and faith-producing power, you will soon discover that it is not your loving of Jesus, but our worship of Jesus and our glorifying of God because of His love for you and for me. And let that be our faith and the practice of our faith. Draw close to the cross. May God bless each and every one of you, young and old, that such a reaction may also stir it up in you through the work of the Word and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.